Hey, Dan Talks listeners, this week I have such a smart guest on. Not to say my other guests are not extremely smart, but we are talking intelligentsia realness with Iris McLuhan. Iris is a trans artist and writer in New York City, and their practice spans text, performance, and image making to explore the queer body, its physical and discursive constructions, and its expansive potential. And we got into it talking about gender representation, their work, what they're passionate about, their experience with love, life, pursuit of happiness. I'm so excited for you guys to hear all of the smart things that Iris has to say, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. It's like being a Minnesotan and being a Catholic are two things that you can never not be once you are one. Yeah. It's like even even if you try really hard, somehow it's there. Don't you go to other churches and you're like, this isn't a real church? Um, I mean, I feel like actually because Minnesota has such a dense um, Protestant, like the Minnesotan aesthetic is highly Lutheran. Uh-huh. So I feel like I have ex- I have some exposure to the plainer flavors of Christianity. Okay. Um, so I can, I guess, I mean, I don't know if I would say I appreciate them, but I get that they're church, you know. You- <laughs> I can recognize that as true. Uh-huh. I want to start, actually, with a poem of yours. Oh, wow. Okay. Great. I brought a prop. <laughs> because I love it so much. <laughs> Unlike some boys. Mm. You said, I often imagine my husband dying. It's morbid, but it's true. I worry that he'll get sick or be killed in an accident. And after I've turned these obsidian events over and over in my mind, most often, the very next thing I think about is what black dress I'll wear to his funeral. (laughs) It's interesting. Did you get that from my Instagram? Yeah. Because that's actually the first part of a whole, a very long essay. Oh. Yeah. Um, About many things. Um, That's the opener? That's the opener. Good writer. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. It's funny to hear that, like, not in the context of the essay, because it does sound... It sounds f- funnier than I think it comes across <laughs> in, the whole, in the context of the whole piece. But actually, that's a, I think that's a, something I often... I think as a writer, you, you, like, you, have, you have your own framework for how a piece is meant to be interpreted... And then I'm always surprised when people are like, I got this out of this piece. And I was like, well, that's great. But I, <laughs> I had no idea that that was <laughs> a potential uh, interpretation or reading. Because where does the essay go? Um, Is it an essay? It's an essay, yeah. It talks about, it's kind of an essay, it's about black dresses. Um, and um, like engaging with, self-presentation and then it it sort of goes through me uh realizing that my gender is not the one that I was assigned at birth um and kind of trying to outline the contours of that joy and also some of the grief that comes along with that so it's not funny I don't know why you thought it was (laughs) 
because what is the gender you were assigned at birth and how would you describe your gender now? Um, I identify as trans non-binary um, and I was raised as a boy. So, um, yeah, it's like moving from, you know, a very, a very, uh, what I felt to be a very constricted or constricting uh, gender category into something that's more fluid and expansive um yeah did that coincide when we talked last week you said iris is a sort of new name it's new yeah i mean like eight months in nine months in yeah i changed my name i started using my new name last june after a run of this it's I'm in a 25-year-long performance project um, called The Sincerity Project, which is a terrible title. <laughs> That's not terrible. No. It's That's sweet. It's, I mean, the people in the piece will, we talk about this, like, The Sincerity Project was the, it was the right title for the first show, but we didn't know that it was going to be a 25-year thing. And then by the time we realized that it was going to be this long-term project, and it had become about many many other things um we were stuck with the title the sincerity project Uh um well you decided to be stuck we decided to be stuck i mean you're right we could always change it Uh um which may feels weirdly related to your previous question actually um anyways this project is there was in 2014 we premiered a piece there were seven of us in the ensemble and we made this piece of performance about us like we're just ourselves we're not acting and we kind of introduce ourselves and then we we talk about what we imagine the future will hold and then the sort of the twist or the big idea is that every two years we come back together to make another show that updates the audience about us and what's happened the idea is that you know in the first show we had all these ideas about what life would be like and then every time we come back together we're like well that was silly or (laughs) um it's like we're we're kind of as the piece goes on grappling with what our lives actually are like and the how they have how they've diverged or how we have diverged from the people who made that first Mm -hmm. performance. So I'm telling this, I'm telling this story because when it started, there was a very big component of like authenticity or sincerity. And the goal was kind of to be like metaphorically, although we also did get physically naked. Um, And in the process of performing that, there was it feels like there's a challenge at least for me i feel this challenge of doing that show really makes me it puts me in a space of asking myself the question like am i really living the life that i know i want to live and so like for instance after the first show i ended a relationship of three years because i was i knew that i I didn't want to... I had outgrown it. Mm-hmm. It was time. And I had. Been, I probably should have done it, like, a year earlier. But this being in the space of that show 
made me realize I couldn't I had to like be honest with myself because mm-hmm. um, you say things like what in the show well like for instance in the first one everybody tells the story of how they lost their virginity uh-huh. and that's like one of the ways in which we back then it was like there was a much more of this sense of like taboo breaking or like boundary crossing with like a radical honesty and it's not so much about that anymore but so this past summer we did the third of 13 shows Mm -hmm. um and i was already you know non i'm identifying as non-binary by that point um but i hadn't changed my name and after that show ended the next day my husband was like so (laughs) and I was like yeah you're right and then I started using Iris so why don't he said so as in like why don't you just go by this other name he was he was wondering if I was going to reveal reveal the new name which I had already chosen in the show how fun is it to choose a new name I mean it just sort of arrived I didn't for me personally it wasn't very it didn't feel like that big of a task there was maybe a period of like two weeks where I was thinking I was like you know I should think about other things I shouldn't go with this the first idea but the first idea sometimes is that's it you know and Iris was the first yeah yeah. Did you arrive at it with Iris Apfel or looking at yourself in the mirror? No. At your eyeball? <laughs> no, I think it just, I mean, it, it's, I don't, I guess I don't really know how I arrived at it feeling like the right choice. But for a few years, I had been making some visual work that included Iris's. Um, and there's a book of poems that I really love called The Wild Iris by Louise Glick, which is very, it's like pretty old school, very beautiful, but in terms of like its gender and sexual politics, like old school. Uh Um, but that book is one of the, it's like one of the first books that I really fell in love with um as like a book of of poems you know iris is a is it a flower yes it's also part of your eye right it is yeah (sighs) so relieved i I only thought of it as part of your eye and then when you started talking about it as if it was a flower i was like i feel like this is a flower too wow but yeah Yeah. i took it purely as like an eye like eye that that makes me sound so cyberpunk (laughs) how far off am i (laughs) i don't know i don't think i really identify with the cyberpunk aesthetic but i have never heard that term in my life cyberpunk cyberpunk is that you're only a punk online Mm, i mean i've never really gotten into like the cyberpunk aesthetic and so i might i might be about to like bullshit something but i think that it it began it was sort of like um i think a lot of people say that it began with this book by william gibson called neuromancer and i think it's it sort of is like uh it's like a future a futuristic aesthetic that 
often as like including like androids or cyborgs, like kind of a transhumanist um, fantasy where people are have a much more integrated and complicated relationship to technology. But again, I'm not an expert on cyberpunk, so. Uh-huh. Is it an aesthetic? Like people wear clothes that are about it? I mean, I don't think it is. I don't think it's like a real world style aesthetic in the same way that like punk is. Okay. I think it's more of a. um, Online trend. (laughs) I was going to say like now kind of outdated literary. I mean, I guess maybe people are still making things that would be considered cyberpunk. A post-contemporary... Post-contemporary cyberpunk, yeah. (laughs) Wow, we are really having an experience with these. um, Every time the lights go out... Well, now we're sitting in a place where I can just wave my arms and then it will come back up. Which... Harry Potter. Yeah. Cursed Child. Yeah. You are the Cursed Child. Thank you. Do you say cursed or curse? As long as I'm the main character. (laughs) (laughs) Um... What was the? Are you? Did you legally change your name? No, I have not done that. Do you care about that? Not right now. What is the? Did you? Does your family call you Iris now? Yes. Yeah. Were they cool with the name change? Uh, you know, I think that it's a complicated thing for a child to tell their parents that they want to be called something other than the name the parents chose. Right. It's a um, little like, I'll take it from here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's such a it's such a tangible It makes me think a lot about the like the process of transitioning and I mean the essay that you read from in that essay I'm like thinking a lot about the the grief um and how it there is both this movement towards like a very joyful new understanding of myself and I want to share that with people my family included and then there there I think there is an understandable grief especially with family about the person that they thought they that they thought I was, and that I was, you know, I was that person for a long time. Um, that person is going away or becoming someone else, um, and so I try to like leave leave space for that that grief to happen because I mean you gotta process that stuff. You can't just if you're feeling that you can't just turn it off but I try to balance it more towards focusing on the joyful things <laughs> what's interesting to me about the grief piece is that in transitioning and becoming more of yourself or sort of getting more closer to a more essential part of yourself or a truer part of yourself the things you're giving up are the things you don't want or necessarily need anymore sure Yes, yeah. but in a way, they're but they're still connected to you in a way that has some sort of warm feelings, right? So, what is the? I guess I'm fascinated by grieving something that you didn't want. I mean, I feel like it's maybe 
it's it's like maybe it's just kind of a general grief about change and i think i know for me change in general is often terrifying um and i think especially for family that change because they're not you know they're not in my body and they're not maybe the joy is like less accessible and so the the that fear of change like rushes in to fill that space um and they you know i might have you know maybe i don't need certain things about my previous uh gender but they did or they built you know they built a lot of their understanding of me and our relationship and the world on that uh gender and so it feels like yeah they probably it makes sense to me that that there's some processing required what do you think about the difference between grief and nostalgia that's a poetic question. Because <laughs> it sounds like you're nostalgic in some ways for your past gender. Um, I mean, that's, I feel a, like, funny, I feel that's like, a funny frame to think through. I've, I mean, I want to say that, like, my, my experience of being my my like coming to identifying as trans was i sometimes think of it as like i wasn't running away from something so much as like running towards something yeah which for for some people is not true like they are they have a much more complicated or difficult or um fraught relationship with the body and the gender that they were born into um so yeah i'm i'm sorry i feel like i'm dri- i'm drifting in this in this question of nostalgia versus grief i don't think i feel nostalgic for being a boy for boy iris yeah that doesn't that doesn't seem true to me but grief feels a little closer um maybe grief for like an uncomplicated understanding of myself. Yeah. You know, cuz now it's more complicated. Well, yeah, it's more complicated and there are a lot of new and different experiences and negotiations that I make with people and the world around me. And some of those are difficult, but I think the the benefits far outweigh the difficulties for me. Which again, read this essay because I write about I write about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does gender mean to you besides your beautiful long hair, great glasses, lipstick, and heels? <laughs> I mean, again, I'm like that feels like such a 
a personal or specific question and I almost like loathe to like go on record saying anything because I feel like that like one's understanding of gender or mine is pretty fluid and intuitive and often it feels like anytime I try to describe it using like explicit definitions or um, try to like fix it I'm like no it's not it's not fixed like it's it's constantly shifting or becoming itself and I feel like for me the process of coming coming to identify as trans has been about realizing that 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 sort of eternal becoming is a space that you can live in it's not a space that i'm passing through that's just where i live don't you think that when people have when people react negatively to trans people whether it's in real life or online that it's always coming from a fundamental discomfort with their own gender i mean or the idea that their gender their own gender is malleable i don't know because i feel like a lot of people i sometimes try to think about all of the very specific and often like privileged they're they're very specific and they're often very privileged contexts that I've been like spent time in, which have given me a certain understanding of or a certain viewpoint on gender. And sometimes I try to like remember how many people, like what percentage of people have never even had the chance to be in an environment where someone was like, Did you know? that you, I mean, even just the concept that gender is like a spectrum, I think many people don't even, they've never been exposed to that. Mm. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Or that you can move within the spectrum also, that you don't fall on the spectrum here and that's where you are. Right, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like part of this essay, again, maybe you, you very fortuitously like picked a sort of like this, this essay is like so much of these thoughts in it, but it's like, I talk about coming to the understanding that, um, expressing oneself in one's body is like, can be a form of play and that it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't have to be the same all the time, it doesn't have to be fixed, and that there is a joy in, in that play with one's body and one's presence in the world. And that, I think, is something that I wish more people could experience, that that sense of 
having like really thought about how you want to be in the world and then successfully being that. Do you feel like you're doing that? Yeah. Yeah. That must be nice. <laughs> it is nice. <laughs> yeah. It feels great. Have you, how many years are we into, was the changing of the name corresponding with a, mm. a gender? No, I had been kind of in, in the process of moving into something new, maybe for about, maybe like three, three, between three and four years. Mm-hmm. And had you met your husband before those three or four years or during? Yeah, we've, we've been together um, almost six years now. Wow. Mm-hmm. I was about to say, in gay years, does that count for... Do you, are you like, um, I'm not gay? I mean, I don't know. That's something that I, we sometimes talk about, of like, <laughs> what is that? I love know? the idea of you two talking about if you're gay or not. <laughs> I mean, it, we, we have talked about that, yeah. It's a, funny, it's a funny thing to think about how all those labels shift and how many of those systems don't necessarily have space for like ambiguity or like um, fluidity Uh, yeah because how do you feel I don't know what gay culture is but how do you feel about it (laughs) I mean yeah gay culture I feel like I identify with some of it but then I've never really been one to, like, go to gay bars mm-hmm. or, like, spend a lot of time. Even when I was a boy, I never really spent a lot of time in, like, cis gay male spaces. Having high tea at Fire Island. <laughs> <laughs> in a sense, it's more offensive than straight culture because <laughs> it's, like, directed towards... <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think... I think, I don't know. I just never, I never like really identified with those spaces or those events. And now I'm like, oh, well, perhaps it makes sense why it didn't feel that way. Uh Um, But I do love the literature. I was was about to say you're a lot more literary. (laughs) Or, like, much more, like, of an intellectual downtown sort of, like, arts collective, mm. roundtable, mm. discussion-based. Interesting uh, impressions to well, receive. I, yeah, I feel like you love a sit-down party. <laughs> I do love a sit-down As opposed down, to a stand-up a party. party. Yeah, you're right. You know? Yeah. Like, a sit-down with real glasses, like, at a home of somebody with a lot of books on their wall. I mean, you're describing my dream home. Right? Except maybe the glassware. I'm not really that fussy about glassware. Oh, really? No. I'm kind of... It's... Yeah. I'm kind I'm kind of... Um, I'm not too particular about, like, housewares. Interesting. I would think that you would have a very sort of minimalist, yet, yet immaculate, and, like, tastefully done home. No, I'm a slob. Wow. <laughs> not a slob. I'm... I'm um, a... My my things tend to like slowly accumulate and like 
spread out like like that, a gas that, they slowly f- expand to fill the container that holds them okay so you're speaking like a writer but you're a sloth <laughs> <laughs> is your husband is he the only relationship you've had or you've had a many before that i've wouldn't say i've had many but you had a couple notables yeah yeah. Like multi-year, I love you, parent meetings? I had one of those. That's nice. Yeah. Was it love, you think? Um, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. And now this one is obviously love. Yes. And how many years into the marriage are we? <laughs> um, f- oh, just over four. Wow. So you knew early. Yes. Are you in your 30s, though? No. I am. You are? Yeah. I'm 30. I'm about to be 32. Wow. So you did you get married? You got married 28. I was actually 27. Wow. Mature. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's funny because I feel like my different contexts have such different expectations around that. Like in Minnesota, <laughs> people, it's not uncommon to get married at 24 or 25. Right. Like 27 is actually maybe kind of on the older side of things. Uh-huh, like, what else was on the lot? <laughs> um, yeah, but then, like, you know, I was living in Philadelphia at the time, and I don't think I knew anyone in my general age cohort who was married. And it definitely felt... I think I was, like, the first one of my close friends to do that. And that was, I think people had similar responses. Wow, are you, okay, are you sure, are you sure you're, you're only 27? And I was like, I mean, I don't know, maybe that was the Midwesterner in me. But also, it seemed, it seemed like, it was something that I wanted to do. How did you, do you have any doubts about it? Um, wow, you asked the question and immediately I'm like, I could feel my brain be like, what is the answer that's true and what is the answer that you think you should say? (laughs) Which is a thing that I do a lot and I'm trying to stop doing in therapy. Or I'm trying in therapy to learn how to stop doing that. Um, I mean, I think... If I had any like fears or doubts, it was more it was more because the act of getting married at least for me was it was like touching or acknowledging mortality in a new way in a way that I never had before, like you know how death is always like present, it's like hanging out in the corner of the room, and like you don't really look at it, but getting married it was like changing the angle of my head just a little bit and so you can see it a little more and you have a different relationship to it because it's till death do you part yeah yeah i mean i mean that's part of what again is in this essay is like wow shit like like either you're gonna watch me die or i'm gonna watch you die you know wow in the best case scenario (laughs) right like yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. 
I never thought about it that way before. I mean, yeah. Does it feel comforting the, um, that you don't have to worry about dying alone? Well, I don't. I wouldn't say that's true because, like, it's, you know, one can still die in an accident or. True, but I mean the whole like I've never had that love, you know. People mean die alone, as in they they die without a relationship. But mm. at this point, you have a relationship locked and loaded for till the end of time. Until the end of time. I mean, if you if you honor your solemn vow, right? Yeah. Before God and everyone, but <laughs> no, your choice. Non-denominational wedding, thank you. Okay, sorry. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, maybe my head isn't turned enough yet to like have a really considered actually dying because I'm like wow I don't know if I've considered what it will feel like to be like to know that I'm dying and have a partner there you haven't thought of that no you're a gender non-conforming girl I mean person (laughs) in New York who wears all black and metallic glasses and goes to like cool downtown art things and you haven't literally thought about your death no have you thought about recently, your fear? Recently, my husband and I had a had a discussion of like, if you had to get cancer, which kind? Which kind would you want to get? And like, it has to be terminal. Oh my god. Yeah. See, no, that's still about living, though. That's not about crossing the line. Yeah. You haven't thought about that? Have you? Oh yes. What do you think about it? I think it's like when I'm swimming in a lake. Did you watch The Good Place? No. Do you know about it? No. <laughs> I would recommend it. Okay. Uh, but I think it's the same thing. It's, of a, it's kind of about this question mm-hmm. in some ways. No, I haven't really thought about like actually dying. Wow. <laughs> well, the but good- now, well, shit, can we pause it so I can <laughs> think about dying? <laughs> Do you know what your funeral is going to be? No. You don't think about that either? No. Wow. Unprepared. What's your funeral like? All black with metallic accents. Uh-huh. Gold preferred. All black with gold accents. Black and gold. It, the themes are sadness, loss, and regret. <laughs> the theme funeral. I bet you could come up with a more, a more exciting theme than that. No, I want it to be sad. I want, Solemn. I want tears and I want flowers. Big flowers. In lieu of flowers, buy bigger flowers. <laughs> And then I there'll mean, be a podium. I'm, Everyone who's ever done me wrong will have an open mic. Who's ever done you wrong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's ever, so who's, they're going to apologize to you after you've died? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because once I'm dead, they'll realize, they'll oh realize my gosh, I never they, said this. They missed their chance. Yeah, and I'll be sitting there in my gorgeous black Versace urn, just listening <laughs> to it. <laughs> listening to the apologies. <laughs> and then they dump me in the lake, and that's it. Wow. Honestly, I don't want to say I'm looking forward to it, because I'm not trying to curse myself but I think it'll be nice (laughs) (laughs) do you have this written down do you have a will well now it's on the internet but you know it's gonna be on the internet it'll live forever yeah you're right cyberpunk did you have a beautiful wedding like a um, like a uh, a romantic wedding um I don't what do you mean by that term I mean like um was it there's so much of a wedding that are that's performative and sort of prescribed. 
And I'm wondering yeah. if you, which parts you were like, we like that prescription we and we don't like that prescription. did not really do that. We got married in my husband's mother's backyard. There were maybe 30 people there. Love it. And we had our one of our best friends uh, marry us. And they, we worked with them to make a ceremony that kind of, like, included our families and then was pretty short and sweet and felt, felt like the things that we wanted to do and none of the things that we didn't. Did you write it all, basically? Um, our friend wrote some of it, and then we wrote our own vows, and... Um, you know, our mothers, we invited our mothers to say something, so they they either wrote or found what they read. Um, I had my sisters read a poem that I wrote. You know, it was... It was... Nice. What was the sweetest thing that that your husband said to you in his vows that he wrote? Oh, man. Do you remember anything? I mean... God. It has been a while. And that day is, like, so charged with emotion that it feels like kind of a blur. Um... We both, some of the vows we both, uh, we both said to each other and some were like individual, but I think one of the thing, one of the ones that we both said to each other was, I vow to love and celebrate your queer self, which turned out to be like really prophetic. <laughs> And um, he wrote that one, which I I like thinking about that fact. <laughs> what a jackpot! He really is a jackpot. Yeah, and you, <laughs> and you still feel that way? Yes, definitely. He I don't know why this question comes up for me, but does he ever say your old name in bed and it's like stop it, or do you ever use that? <laughs> no, he's actually very good about. Um, not i mean he, he i don't know if he has ever slipped up mm-hmm. which but also if he did i i wouldn't be offended or care yeah like people there are habits or like brain grooves that people have and sometimes they kick in and it doesn't i know that he's not going to do that maliciously have you, you've lived in Philadelphia, Minnesota, Philadelphia, yeah. New York, mm-hmm. New York's the best. Um, I think of all the places that I've lived, I like New York the most, although it obviously has some downsides or difficulties compared to other places that um, one wishes were different, but the, I mean... Yeah. I think, I hope that actually that every place I live, I feel that it's the best place I've lived, which is maybe naive or it just maybe means that I'll never live anywhere else. <laughs> You're, do you have 
advanced degrees. No. You're giving me advanced degree vibes. Do you do you have an undergraduate degree? I do, yes. Where did you go? I went to Wesleyan University. Oh, nice, smart. Smart, yeah. Did you major in philosophy or something? I majored, I did a double major in theater with a concentration in acting and um, basically an interdisciplinary major called science and society, which is kind of like half the coursework is in you pick a like a hard science discipline and then half of the coursework you study science as a social and cultural practice and so i did that major as well as a really smart person isn't it don't you it's sometimes the more you know like the more sad you can get sure do you ever get how often do you get to that place um all the time <laughs> I mean, doesn't everyone like wake up and immediately experience a rush of anxiety about like the impending collapse of all of the systems that give our world structure? I'm here to tell you, some people really don't. <laughs> I, re- I the other night I went to a reading um, by this poet that I love, Rachel Zucker, who read from her new book, and there was this inc- there was the repeated a repeated line that kept appearing in this long piece that she read. And the line was, it has come to my attention that the world is a terrible place. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I identify. <laughs> what is the most um, middle America thing that you still do? Um, sometimes I still call them bagels. <laughs> Instead of bagels? Yeah. Do you say pop for soda? No. I learned I learned that one. And I know I often will say bagel, but everyone's in a Intellectually while, I do know that it is a bagel. <laughs> I do know it is a bagel. But every once in a while it just comes out bagel. <laughs> when you're at a party, I imagine people want to meet you. Um I don't know. What's your vibe at a party? I try to be approachable. I recently, maybe in the last couple of years, I've tried to, for myself, like, be the type of person who just, like, goes up to someone and is like, I want to meet you. Like, I actually, with you, when we met finally the other day, I was like, like, you walked in, and my husband and I were like, oh, it's the guy with the lion. And then <laughs> I was like, I'm going to meet him. <laughs> and then I think I even said that when you walked by. I was like, wait, I, can I meet you? Yes. Um, you said, wait, can we meet? Yeah. Because we've been in other rooms before, too. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like maybe we're similar in that. I, I like to meet people. I like to ask a lot of questions. Because the party feels like such a... It's such a, like, useful liminal space where, like, it's not... It's not super weird to go up to someone and be like, who are you? Right. <laughs> right. Have you ever done a train meet with someone on the subway? No. What, what do you mean? Like, like just see, met someone on the subway? Yeah. No, I think the subway is the sacred space. I was just talking to my coworker about this. He said, it's me time. He said, train time is me time. Yeah, I, like, I don't like it when people talk to me on the subway. I would never do that to someone. Unless sometimes... 
You say do it to someone like it's not something they would want. I've met people on the train before, but it's because of a mutual like. Well, I feel like they're the one exception I make is if someone is wearing something really cool or like yeah. their makeup looks really great. Yeah. Then I might be like, sorry to bother you. I just have to say like your boots are incredible. That's why I brought it up to you because I feel like people must do that to you. Um, sometimes, although it feels a little maybe a little more complicated as a gender non-conforming person because I mean like public attention is a different thing mm-hmm. and weird it's if someone feels like when people do that to me when I am like presenting in a more femme way I can never, it can be hard to unravel, like, is it, sometimes it feels good, like, you know, like, I see you, like, uh, you know, uh, it's like an acknowledgement, and sometimes it feels like people kind of performing their own, like, acceptingness, if that makes sense, Yeah, and that doesn't feel as good. It's different when it's, like, queen to queen, basically. Yeah, which is why I just generally try to ignore everyone on the subway. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever experienced violence because of your gender expression? Um, I have not. That's nice. It is. I'm lucky. Yeah. It's, you know, it's an awareness that I have. Um, Yeah. But in general, I've been... I have not. I mean, I haven't yeah. experienced physical violence. So, do you ever feel a need to reel it in if you go back to Minnesota or something? No, I mean, I'm from the Twin Cities, and so I think there the the kind of like the Midwestern like the niceness w- almost always overpowers the like the meanness mm-hmm. um, and I think I made a dis- I mean I know I made a decision a while ago that I wouldn't I wouldn't do the work of censoring I wasn't going to oppress myself Yeah, <laughs> I'd spent a l- enough time doing that and I was like if people are uncomfortable that actually has nothing to do with me I cannot be responsible for everyone's comfort and I refuse to any longer sacrifice my own happiness for like some, you know, fantasy of polite society, which is great. It's fun. It's a fun way to live. And I would, and I would say, I feel like you, when people see you, you're opening the door for people that want to wear different things or be different Mm -hmm. i mean i feel like it's people need to see other people being themselves to feel like it's okay to be themselves also yeah yeah i mean i don't know how you i don't know what your experience was like growing up but i mean part of the reason why i read so many gay books as a child was like you know i was so thirsty for those 
images of people who were like me. And I sometimes think about how my life would be different if I had, for instance, known a single queer adult as a child, but I didn't. I I mean, I'm sure I knew some, but like they were never presented to me that way. Um, So I also think part of that decision to like not do the work of do the work that the world sometimes wants you to do part of that is like also imagining being that person for someone else the person who is like them who they see in public Mm -hmm. I imagine you had to grapple with the gay thing Mm-hmm. and grapple with the gender thing. Mm-hmm. And I imagine the gay thing came first. Yeah. Would you say one was uh, more challenging than the other? I mean, I feel like it's hard to compare because I, I was in such a different place, mm-hmm. you know. Did one feel a, like a bigger hump to get to, given the place you were? When I you- mean, probably coming out as queer because I was, a, you know... 16, 17, when I was realizing that, like, you know, just did not understand what I was supposed to do, you know, it just, it's a confusing time. So that one was probably harder, but it could have been a lot worse. Because, yeah, because then when you were like, oh, I want to, I want my this gender isn't quite right. At that point, you're in your mid-20s, right? No, I was mm, late 20s. Late 20s. Yeah. And you're like, I'm, I have this I'm bomb like, boyfriend. I've had yeah. jobs before. I've played like, rent. I can yeah. do this. Yeah. Yeah. I was a grown-up. <laughs> <laughs> what is the thing that you want your creative work to do? Hmm. Wow. Which I understand spans performance and writing and visual art. Wow. What a question. I'm like, I don't know. My immediate impulse is to be like, I don't know. But I feel like that... You've not thought about death. You've not thought about what you want your work to... I mean, (laughs) I think that I often approach making work from... I'm not the type of person who is like, I have this idea and I'm going to execute it. It's much more like, I'm gonna go into the studio for four hours and like make up a bunch of stuff. And I'm gonna do that for 10 times. And then I'm gonna like look at all of it and be like, what is that? And then move from there. Like I think in most, in most of the creative contexts that I work in, it's much more about, it's, much, it's usually a process of beginning from a space of doing, and then as I continue doing, understanding more about the form or the structure, and then the, then the doing slowly shifts into making the final thing. But it it usually feels pretty intuitive um 
which is a nice way of saying that I often sit in a room and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, God, the showing's tomorrow. I better, like, <laughs> put something together. Um, but I think that that also, at least in my experience, that often results in connections between material or, like, arrangements of material that, in the end, feel much more exciting and satisfying to me than a kind of, like, one-to-one idea and execution. Do you see the... What does the creative process do for you? There are a lot of people who couldn't go to a studio for four hours without an idea of what they're going to do. Mm. What makes you keep going back? Hmm. I mean... There's definitely like a sense of satisfaction in making things. Often also the things that I make, I can like return to them and it helps me understand where I was in that moment and therefore where I am now. So that feels pretty exciting and useful. Um, Yeah. What's the thing you think the world needs more of? This feels like the Proust questionnaire. Do you know that? No. Um, what God, is it? I think it's in Vanity Fair. <laughs> it's in a it's in a magazine, and it's like a series. It's a set series of like. It's like a, a lot of questions, like at least fifty, I think. And it's like, what's your favorite food? Like, what's what's one thing you could never do without? And they always like, there's always like a celebrity that does it. Um, anyways, <laughs> and I'm sure you know they. It always has this like sort of like casual, tossed off air. And I'm sure it's like they spend, you know, that celebrity's like assistant spends months crafting their answers. <laughs> Um, which is, this is all me just trying to avoid your question because I think that it's hard. <laughs> um, what's the one thing the world needs more of? I mean... I want to say it's like... like men wearing dresses. <laughs> which is maybe thematically relevant to all of these things we've been talking about, but I'm like, I just want to see more, more men like looking pretty or like looking complicated and like enjoying it, you know? (laughs) I feel so similarly. (laughs) Do you ever wear dresses? No, but... Have you? Do you have a desire? Yeah, of course. You should do it. I know. It feels great. I know. You gotta find the the right dress. Yeah. I need to say yes to the dress. (laughs) (laughs) Except it needs to be black. (laughs) Yeah. Again, you have to read this whole piece, because it's all about black dresses. And the title of the piece... Is Unlike Some Boys. Yep. I'm going to end the pod there. Yeah.
That's such, that is the best answer I can think of. 